I am the way into the city of woe. Hello and welcome, welcome and hello, this is, wait, you haven't seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis, this is episode number 223, and our movie this week is John Wick Chapter 4, and joining me to talk about it because neither one of us had seen it yet, it's Cyrenix. Cyrenix, how you doing? Doing very, very well, and also a little bit of a disclaimer before we uh, get started here. I do, in fact, like other movies other than John Wick. So I, I know we've I've been on here for the last three chapters, but there are other movies that I like other than this. But it's a theme it's, now. So yeah, we we had a thing going on, and it was one of those where. All right, so real quick, straight at the outset, this movie is very new. It just came out this year, twenty twenty three. So if you are listening to this in twenty twenty three, and uh, you do not want to be spoiled. Um, what happened in John Wick Chapter 4, go back, listen to any of the 222 backlogged episodes of Wait You Haven't Seen, watch the movie, and then come back. Um, it's worth it. Uh, but just to let you know, we are yeah. going to be spoiling a whole lot. We're going to be talking about this movie, so enjoy that. But this was a thing where we had talked about this. When you came on a few months back for John Wick Chapter 3, we were like, we should do this because Chapter 4 is coming out soon. And yeah. then it was like immediately after that, was just messages coming back and forth. Usually you messaging me every couple of weeks. Hey, when are we going to do chapter four? We, you want to do chapter four yet? Hey, when are we going to do chapter And I was like, we'll, we'll, we're going to do chapter four. I wanted a little bit of breathing room in there, but like yeah. I, I was, I was right with you in like wanting to do this and wanting to see the movie. Yeah. So and see what the moral of the story is. You need to stop saying, Hey, you can welcome back anytime because <laughs> I will take you at your word and, and ask to come back. Not a problem, not a problem. So John Wick <laughs> chapter four. So we have, you and I have talked chapters two, three, and now we'll be talking four. Um, I Correct. did do the first movie with uh, Monica, my co-host on Gore um, and uh, Scottie um, back uh, a couple of years ago. And I have enjoyed the hell out of all these John Wick movies and they just oh, keep yeah. getting more and more ridiculous. And I love them for that. Um, so I think first things first, I want to get your take. What did you think of it overall? Just, just, you got done watching it for that first time and just your immediate takeaway was John Wick chapter four, man, that was. Oh, at first I was, I don't know. It's a little bit mixed because actually I, this, I have watched it twice now. I watched it once in theater and watched it a little bit earlier today. Oh, but after the first watch through, I was a little, hesitant about it because it does go in the that escalation of action that we were talking about with chapter three it mm -hmm. takes it even further the second watch through i just kind of 
sparked my brain a little bit more not by much, mm. but a little bit more and just enjoyed the set pieces, which there are some amazing set pieces in this movie. Oh yeah. And, uh, just kind of parked it a little bit, enjoyed the set pieces and had a much better time with this movie. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it's, it's probably, I probably have to say still my favorite is number two. Okay. But then second place is like tied with this and number one. That's, that's a fair assessment. I like you very much enjoyed the movie. Um, I have a couple of nitpicks we'll get to. They're not, they're minor um, yeah. in, in terms of like enjoyment of the movie, but they're there and they should be talked about. But overall, this was very good. It was a very good conclusion to a story arc that they started in chapter one in John Wick, um, which I'm going to say that of the four, the first movie is still my favorite. And I think it's just because it, it introduced me to this character in this world. And it, it's sort of like um, there's, and we talked about this during chapter three, there's those movies that come along that kind of, even if they're not the first one to do a thing, they help to level set, reinvent a genre and kind yeah. of give you what movie is capable of. And in this case, it, John Wick really changed how we viewed a lot of action films and the action films that came after it owe so much to John Wick because of the things that it did. Just like, um, you know, uh, Casino Royale did that for the Bond films. Um, I think that the first, The Born Identity did that for a lot of action films in the early 2000s, for good or ill. Um, it really set the tone and kind of broke the mold in terms of what you were doing with your action movies at that time. Um, and so for me, like that first movie is, is so, so great, but what they did with chapter four and what they continue to do with each iteration of John wick is give us something new, give us something that yeah. the movies hadn't done yet. And they kept getting bigger. This is the biggest of them all by far yeah. in, in terms of yeah. scope and length. Um, yeah. Yeah, this one's actually over an hour longer than the original. <laughs> yeah, just shy yeah. of three. And I actually, I actually read on the the trivia that the original cut of this was almost four hours long. Yeah. That they had to cut it down to one to one hundred and sixty nine minutes. Mm -hmm. And I, here's what I will say: my my only, and it's not so much a complaint, but it is a nitpick of the movie is that length. In that yeah. you could you could get across a lot of the same story in a shorter film. There are definitely moments and points in this film that you're like, wow, did we need that in service of the story that we're telling? And the answer is typically no. Um, like, did we need any of the stuff that happened in Japan, in Osaka? Not really. None of that really, it gives us one minor backstory piece with him and Kane. Yeah. And the fact that um, who, who we'll get to, we'll get to casting and all of that. <laughs> but it gives us one minor bit of, of kind of backstory that ties it together. But really, honestly, if you took everything in Osaka and cut it out of the movie, there's almost no change to the, the narrative that's going on. Um, now, yeah. having said that, I also don't want to lose any of the stuff in Osaka because <laughs> it was awesome. And it had yeah. great characters in it and great performances. So it's just one of those where it's really tough. Like it's always difficult to figure out what you can and can't lose. And a two, 
I think it was 225 minutes was the original cut of this, which is insane to think about. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And at that point, you'd almost have to cut it into two movies. And you could have even taken this and cut it into two different movies. And it would have been fine. Um, I'm glad that they didn't do that. I I don't hate that movies are doing this, right? Because in the end, what I want is a good story. So like a three-hour movie doesn't bother me. Um, as long as the pacing is good, uh, taking a movie and breaking it into two parts, whether it's uh, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame or Dune Part One, Part Two, or you know, insert your movie here. Um, the last yeah. two Harry Potter movies getting split, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> that doesn't bother me so much because what they're trying to do is tell the best story that they can. Yeah, it's just and, like uh, it's it, this one was towing that line. Do you split it into two movies? Yeah. Do you make it one three-hour movie? Um, I even think like the opening of this is so good that oh, from the from the moment where the Bowery King uh, blows the match out and we get that yeah. it's that Lawrence of Arabia opening. Right. It's almost shot for yeah. shot. He blows that match out and then you get the, the rising sun and the horsemen coming. All of that could get cut and it cha- doesn't change the movie at all because we don't necessarily need to see John go after the elder the way that he did and shoot him. Well. To a certain degree, but also it's kind of the catalyst. It's like the final straw for the high table to start really ramping up everything against John Wick and not only going against him, but everyone associated with him. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the, that was the inciting moment. Um, so, yes, it, it is. Mean, I just, I feel like you could have, if that got cut and you there's, don't, yeah, there's other ways of all that. It then then you you know you've got another 10 minutes say cut out of your movie that looks gorgeous and again i don't want to lose any of that because they actually like they shot that that scene with the elder was shot in a location that's all real yeah. that's a real backdrop that was i think it was the same uh is used in Lawrence of Arabia and oh i wouldn't be surprised <laughs> and but it like it's gorgeous it looks yeah. amazing and it does set a tone it's just you know, then there's like the editor part of my brain that's like, well, yeah, but you could trim that and it's going to be a little bit more accessible for more people. But again, well, nitpicking. Yeah, again, it's like, but it's kind of, it's like what side of the, the equation do you try to cater to? Either the, the editing side, making it super concise storytelling, but then you start losing these really good set pieces that aren't necessarily there to further the story as much as to look really badass which Mm -hmm. above above all else that is something that this movie accomplishes is just there's so many badass moments oh Uh, oh oh yeah do they necessarily serve the story very well not necessarily but it's just cool to watch it very much is and and really when you think about the john wick series all four of the movies do that right there's so many times where you could trim a set piece action sequence gunfight down by you know 25 30 35 percent you could you could shave off of it and it would still give you the same effect it would give you the same storytelling uh but it would be a little bit shorter um because some of them do go on quite a ways but man when they're going they look good like we talked about that with chapter three and that whole fight uh with halle berry and the dogs and all that where it just Like that scene just kept going and going and going. And you're like, by the end of it, you're tired. 
just watching. (laughs) And there's, there's definitely, they took that and there's several moments in (laughs) this movie that do that. Like literally the last almost hour of the movie is just fight to fight, to fight, to fight. And it's glorious in my mind. I thought that was one of the, I thought it was amazing. And I've seen like on the internet, the meme of, uh, you know, well, if John Wick, you know, taking fictional characters and making them D and D characters, what class would they be? What would their stats be? All that kind of stuff. John Wick yeah. is a barbarian, right? Oh yeah. He's a straight up fighter barbarian and he's got like a 35 con score. Like his constitution <laughs> is just unworldly because yeah. that man go takes more punishment than any, anything should ever be able to take. Like yeah. we, we ended chapter three. He fell off a building. Yeah. <laughs> not okay. And not a small building. He fell off no. a building. Yeah. Although I have been actually recently, there was a, uh, there's a, a YouTube channel called uh, the, like part of the theorists network network mm-hmm. uh, film theorists actually did a theory on John wick and how that almost that whole fall is actually survivable. Almost. There's the one part where he takes the the railing to the back. That oh, yeah. probably would have paralyzed him from the oh, from I'm the sure. waist down. It should have, yeah. But a normal human theor- being. Yeah. Theoretically, the rest of that fall is there's a chance he could survive that. But still but what it, it's just but what it is is yeah, and it's it, the the reason like he's like a level thirty barbarian because he can stay oh, yeah. in his rage state forever. He doesn't have to come out yeah. of rage. And so he's just invulnerable to normal injuries than that at that point. And his stamina goes through the roof when it, oh, when yeah. it finally ends and he comes out of rage, he's done. Uh, he's useless oh, yeah. for a little while, which is why this movie took place eight months after the last one. Um, but actually like, that's uh, just about six it, months, something like that. Okay. Like, uh, yeah, according to a, an interview, uh, Chaz Tahelski said it was about six months. He said that the whole series takes about eight months. Oh, okay. something like that. So there's but a little just, bit of discrepancy there, but it was just one of those where I was just, as I'm watching this, I'm like, man, this dude just, she's just a Timex watch. He takes a licking and just oh, yeah. keeps on going. He does not yeah. quit. And yeah. there's a great shot or there's a great, yeah, there's a great shot of Keanu Reeves, John went, and we're going to get to come of this, some of these set pieces. Cause I want to give each one of them kind of their own due, but yeah. the shot where he gets to the bottom of the stairs <laughs> And he looks up the stairs and there's a quote from Stahelski saying, yeah, that, that look is like 50% John Wick and 50% Keanu Reeves because (laughs) the 222 stairs. And I'm just like, Ooh, my quads already hurt thinking about going up those stairs, just walking them. And he's and and like, and you, you know, at that point, that scene is like, he's not just walking up these stairs. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're doing that now. Because, you know, yeah. we haven't had enough amazing set pieces by that point in the movie. But do we want to talk the set pieces first or we do, want to, do we want to talk cast? I'll, I, I think we could probably talk cast first and then uh, okay. start going through the different set pieces. It, it, I mean, it all starts and stops with Keanu Reeves, John Wick. Oh, yeah. Uh, just once again, perfect, perfect in this role. And he actually cut a lot of dialogue out of this. He only has like yeah. three. What is it? 380 says, words. Yeah. Which is. Just silly to think yeah. in a three-hour movie, two hours and 52 minutes, of which if you take the, say, eight to ten minutes of credits out of the end, we'll, we'll you know, give them that. And we'll, so we'll say two yeah. hours 
and 40 minutes of movie. And the man says 380 words. Yeah. And probably about 20% of them are. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but he, Keanu knows like he understands what he is as an actor. I think he kind of figured that out at some point that he is very much the neutral mask and, yeah. and, and John wick as a character is very much that. And the stoicism is a big part of John wick's character too. So it's sort of like um, Edward Scissorhands and taking a lot of the dialogue out of that for Johnny Depp and not making yeah. him very talkative made the performance more Im impactful. And I think the, the fewer words that John says, the better, because he can, he can say a lot with a look, but yeah. also so much of John Wick as a character is the mythos of John Wick. It's the Baba Yaga. It's the... It's what everyone or, else thinks of him. Or Baby Yaga. Yeah, or Baby Yaga. Ever ever since you showed me that, it's like that's what it's been called in my head for ever since. <laughs> Baby Yaga. Because it just sounds um, funny. Anyway. <laughs> but it's like so much of that character is that, right? It's what other people refer to him as and talk about him. So to have him be, you know, not talk a whole lot works. And it works better, I think, for the character. And Keanu knows that. And so he's willing to cut a lot of lines of his dialogue, which many actors would not want to do, but then he's also going to put so much effort into the physicality of the role and the stunt work and want to be on screen for all that very much. Like, I mean, it's the same thing that Tom Cruise does in a lot of his action stuff where he's, yeah. he's more than willing to hang off the side of an airplane as it takes off from a runway to, to sell the shot yeah. because it's going to look better. If it's, if you know, it's him there, there are shots in this movie I had notes to myself like it's great when you see driving shots and it's a long take and you see Keanu behind the wheel because, you know, he's not driving 100 yeah. percent of the time. But when he is behind the wheel and you can see that we talked about it with uh, the previous movies, all those long takes and shots that are are wide of the fights and yeah. you know, it's Keanu Reeves there. That goes a Which long is way. Yeah, and that's part of the thing about this whole series that makes it so iconic now is that there's so many, like one of the set pieces I want to get into is one of those long takes that later on, mm -hmm. but there's always these long takes that they have where you clearly see everything that's happening and it's all so concise and just, just chef's kiss, uh, just... You, I, because that's one thing that I, I very much dislike about a lot of action movies is when they just do so much stuff, or like do camera tricks or shaky cam or whatever, and you don't get to see what they actually do. You just mm -hmm. see a bunch of things flying and then people falling over. This one, you see every stab, you see every shot, you see every punch, you see every action. I love that about this kind of action. Uh, I think that's yes. one of the reasons why I'm kind of drawn to this series in general. Good action. Um, will let you inform you and, and keep you uh, in, in the geography of the scene. And you know where everything and everyone is in the scene, whether that is um, American or uh, a lot of Hong Kong action is very good at keeping. There was a great breakdown I saw. I want to say it's, it's not every frame of painting on YouTube, but there's another breakdown and it was Jackie Chan 
and it was it, it was comparing the differences of Jackie Chan's Hong Kong films and some of his American stuff or just American um, action cinema in general and the differences between like a, a good action scene in a Jackie Chan movie shows you where Jackie is, where the antagonist or the, the thing that's going to hurt him is and where things are in the background and you see all of those in every shot and very rarely do you get those cut ins or those cutaways or those close ups on something and then have to try and piece that together in your head. The antithesis being say the well over memed thing from taken, I think <laughs> two of Liam Neeson jumping the fence and there's 17 cuts in like three seconds. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and the difference there, like not everything has to be a wide shot, single take, but you want to know where everything is in relation to each other. John Woo was always really good at doing that with his action set pieces. Um, anything Jackie Chan was in, whether it was uh, directed by um, Yin Wo Ping or Sammo Hung or Jackie himself, they always did such a good job of making sure you knew where everyone was at any point. Um, Michael Bay early on was a lot better at that. There was a time, there was a period of time where he got a little muddy and some of his action was a little tough to follow. And yeah. some of the, the later Transformers films, but like The Rock, The Island, Bad Boys, you usually are able to follow that action really well. And his, his is more of an American style, but the same rules applied. Um, yeah. I remember seeing, it was um, Clash of the Titans, the remake that came out in whatever it was, late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, and story issues I had aside with that movie, one of my problems was there were action, there were set pieces where I didn't know where anything, what was going on or where anyone was yeah. in relation to anyone else. And I got confused. Um, and if I'm getting confused by that stuff going on in an action scene, that's bad because I can typically follow them pretty yeah. well. Um, that was my problem with the Bourne supremacy was it relied too much on shaky cam, but it was shaky cam that was too up close. Bourne ultimatum, Paul Greengrass kind of figured it out, pulled the camera back a little bit and at least let us kind of, understand again the geography of the scene yeah. and that's important whether it's a wide open scene like um you know in the streets of paris or it's this really condensed thing like a like a fight in a bathroom and born ultimatum you need to know where all your players are in relation to each other at any time and yeah chad stahelski understands that and so him oh, yeah. and his choreographers and the stunt teams whether it's donnie yen's stunt team or keanu's team or whoever the, all these people figure this out and uh and and so it's really really good and again keanu again because he dedicates some put so much dedication into the physical part of it and wants to be on screen for that you're seeing all of that come out and so it makes you believe that he is john wick that he is because you can see him doing these things it's just it's oh, just yeah. that much better yeah yeah, it is impressive, like how much he takes onto himself. Like I, I, I know which which car scene you're talking about, and that is very impressive. Not only because the doors of the car are busted off, so you can clearly see him. He's driving one handed, firing one handed, and he's legit doing it mm -hmm. for like not just a quick take, but he's like a multiple tracking shot. And it's that it's, it is really oh, impressive that drift shot where he's drifting yeah. around the other cars was so good because it was one of those where my my movie watching brain keeps waiting for the cut right and because it doesn't seen, show up yeah you've seen that how many times in movies where the car starts to power slide and starts to drift and then you cut away you do an insert of somebody's reaction to it or you get another angle of what's going on 
to get coverage. No, this was the one shot tracking all the way around. I'm like, this is beautiful because it just yeah. kept going. Yeah. But and yeah, uh, we're going a little bit ahead of ourselves. We've got a lot of cast to get to still. <laughs> oh, we do. Uh, I, look, we're going to be gushing about this movie a lot. I just oh yeah, feeling. yeah. Um, bottom line, this movie is impressive. <laughs> it's very impressive. I mean, you yeah. bring back Lawrence Fishburne as the Bowery King. And just like the last couple of movies, he doesn't have a ton of screen time, but man, when he's on screen, yeah, Fishburne was having fun. He oh, was yeah. having a blast as this character. And I loved it. I loved every second from that opening that I played at the top where he's quoting Dante's Inferno as he's walking in. And uh, I got a couple of clips I'll play later on of him. Um, and he just, it was great. He shows up in Paris. It's the first time you see him outside in New York, which I, I loved. Yeah. Um, Ian McShane back as, uh, as Winston. Um, and uh, Ian McShane just, he just brings, there's so many actors in this that bring a, a level of gravitas that is impressive. And McShane yeah. has that because, because we've seen both him as an actor and him in this character play kind of both sides of the fence, be, be pro and antagonist. It's, you're never quite sure where he's coming from. Yeah. He and always has an so angle. Well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And Ian McShane is perfect for that because you kind of don't always, you don't ever a hundred percent trust him. Even if he's playing the good guy, you're like, yeah, but I don't know. It's like watching Anthony Hopkins. You're always worried ever since silence of the lambs, you're worried. Anthony Hopkins is going to flip on you at some point and like <laughs> try to eat you. And it's, you know, yeah, he was just so good at that. Yeah. It, it's almost like, a. Oh, Winston, well, Ian McShane is almost the antithesis of Keanu Reeves when you were describing it, because Keanu Reeves can tell you a lot with his expression. With Ian McShane, he can hide a lot with his expression. It's like yes. you can't really tell where what's going to happen with him. Yeah, you got a little like, it's like the Sphinx. I can't read you. I don't know yeah. what's going on. What, what What's going on behind that face? And plus, like, he just, I mean, he delivers lines like nobody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Lance Reddick. Comes back as Sharon. Yeah. As Sharon, um, I was really hoping he was in the movie more. That was the bummer. Yeah. Like it was the gut punch in the beginning, extra hard because of the fact that Lance Reddick passed away two weeks before this yeah. movie debuted. Yeah, this um, this got put on my unfortunate list because there's there's no way to have predicted this or anything like no. that. But yeah, just the fact that his that Sharon died the way that he did you know again we already did our spoiler alert so whatever yeah uh <laughs> the way yeah, the way that he died in the movie and the the fact that it's like it with lance and or lance reddick passing away the way he did it's just unfortunate it's like it's one of those things you wish you had a time machine and it's like oh let's change something about this yeah. Well, and the thing is, like, even if Lance Reddick doesn't pass away, it's still such a bummer for that character that to yeah. to go that early. But what it does do is it gives us as an audience without John Wick having to be involved. Now we've got we've got that sort of, you know, John's um, the the puppy at the beginning of the first movie or his wife, those catalysts for like yeah. him to go on this crusade. Sharon gets killed like that and it's it's so needless and it's unexpected. Which is the point. 
<laughs> yes, and it's exactly what the what is supposed to happen there, and it's just I I hoped that he was in the movie more and like they gave him more of a role in this, but at the same time, he had such an important moment to play in it, and yeah, it's um it, it's just one of those where there's certain times where characters get offed in a movie that is unexpected or just happens very quickly. And like it happens so fast in this, you barely have time to react to it. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely unexpected. Cause when we, when we were talking about chapter three and how Sharon has that whole, the whole fight scene in the continental fighting alongside mm-hmm. John and just being a utter badass, we were oh, yeah. hoping for more of that in chapter four. We, we, but it's just at the same time, how the John killing the elder was kind of the catalyst for the high table to start going after everyone is associated with him. The table killing Sharon was again, kind of the catalyst for John to continue doing, trying to continue getting his revenge. Yeah. Um, and for Winston to sort of, yeah. Figure out something in his life. Cause they, they have that great moment of the such is life and yeah. that whole idea where Winston is still not quite there yet, but Sharon already has hit that spot. Like he's already there and you hate that that has to be the catalyst, but that's what pushed Winston over the edge. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but you know, just, uh, remembering, uh, Lance Reddick and the dude was astounding. He was yeah. just a fantastic <laughs> actor. Funny as all get out. He was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, and at least we've got all of his work because man, he was good in everything. He was, he was good in everything he was ever in. Yeah. Um, I did a little happy dance when Clancy Brown came on screen. Yes. The Harbinger I, because just, just Clancy Brown all the time, put him in everything. Yeah. I don't care. He's so good. <laughs> I mean, even, even when he was like in the, uh, the one episode of the Mandalorian as the, uh, yeah. the was the, devil looking alien race. I don't remember what they're called, but it's like, even in that he just elevates it. Mm-hmm. And I, I was also really excited to see him as the harbinger. Also random little tangent. I love, I still love how everyone just has a title. Yeah. Where it's like, and the only reason, the Go only ahead. reason why, like we have the manager and, or how we have Winston and Sharon known as they by their real names is because John is so close to them, but to everyone yeah. else, they're the manager and the concierge. Yep. And it's like, and then you have the harbinger, you have the marquee, even the, even though he calls himself nobody, he's, I believe he's credited as the tracker. Yep. Yeah. So what I like I too, love, yeah. And they did this in chapter three with the adjudicator is I love the fact that they are not referred to a, they're not referred to by a name. But B, Clancy Brown isn't referred to as the Harbinger. When he walks into the Continental, yeah. he he's he says, a Harbinger is here to see you. So yeah. the cool thing about that is there's more than just this one, but for one of however many to command yeah. that much respect and that much fear tells you a lot, too. Like, yeah. that's a great way to make your character just seem like, oh, whoa. Like, this is just a harbinger and he's got Winston and the concierge like on pins and needles. Oh yeah. And Clancy Brown, you mentioned him in Mandalorian, go all the way back to Highlander, go to, um, uh, Shawshank Redemption, uh, Shawshank Redemption. He's so good as captain Hadley in that 
he's yeah. funny as all get out as Mr. Krabs. Like <laughs> you forget sometimes that he's Mr. Krabs. Like he's that good. He's a great voice actor. He's got the voice. He can yeah. do that. Like Mr. Krabs is such a, a silly voice for him to do. Mm-hmm. But then there's a moment in this and I captured it where he, he gets real serious for a second uh, with um, the marquee. And it's just like, Ooh, man, I don't, I don't want to make you, I don't want you disappointed in me because <laughs> I'll just shrink into a tiny little ball and like, and just claim. Plus he's a, he's an imposing figure. He has certain actors. You know how this goes. Certain actors, just as they get older, they just look cooler. Like Clancy Brown. He's definitely one always. (laughs) Yeah. Clancy Brown always looked great. Like he always had a good look to him. And I mean, Captain Hadley is just an awful character uh, in terms of like a person. Well, amazing performance. Um, Yeah. But you look at that Clancy Brown and then you look at the current day Clancy Brown where he's letting his hair get a little long. He's letting the gray go and the gray beard. And it's just like, that's just a cool looking dude. You know? Yeah. <laughs> he just, he just pulls that look off so well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, it's like, like Fishburne, not a ton of screen time, but commands it when he's on the screen. Yeah. I mean, and that's not just, not just his performance, but also the character as well, because he mm-hmm. has such authority and he's almost a, a, to a certain degree an advisory role to the marquee as well and you know he's yep. just plays it up in that it's yeah i was very impressed with with his performance as well i was glad to see him in it mm-hmm. uh we've mentioned the marquee a couple times the marquee uh played by bill skarsgård yeah yeah boy uh pretty much from pretty much from the word go as soon as he came on the screen and started talking i wanted to punch him Mm-hmm. Uh, which is exactly the point. I think my my first line of him is Skarsgård is just good. He's just slimy and menacing. And as the movie goes on, you get to learn more and more about him in terms of how ambitious he is, but how cowardly he is at the same time. Like yeah. he wants he wants to move up, move up, move up, move up, but he very rarely does anything himself. He gets people yeah. to do it for him. But there were also some very small moments that took the performance from me in watching it from this is a great bad guy and a great performance by Skarsgård to this is like next level. And one of them was when he's in the stable, when the tracker comes up and he says, you know, who are you? And the tracker responds with nobody. And there's a quick moment before he breaks into the line, which a lot of people are going to remember the part where he says, you know, coyness, is a pathetic trade and he he talks about all that but there's a moment right before that when he says nobody where you just get this tiny little eye roll right before he turns (laughs) of this like oh we're gonna do this game okay and then he turns and he turns on the menace and i was like that right there and then there's another moment later on at the very towards the very end where he tries to do the tropey you know don't don't forget about your daughter remember your daughter and donnie yen's character tells him to f off And there's, again, (laughs) that very slight moment of what I read as, you know what, that's fair. And then he walked away. (laughs) Like just that little bit of recognition of like, I deserve that. And it's those (laughs) things that took that performance because he's so good throughout the movie in every scene. You're right. You just want to punch him. You just want to like, you just want to drag him down the down a gravel road by his (laughs) face. 
Yeah. I mean, and it's not even like what he says necessarily. It's just his his demeanor and how he mm -hmm. presents himself and how he says it to people that yes. just is just just vomits pretentiousness. Mm -hmm. And oh, it just and that that's you know, that uh is you know a a point for his performance, the fact that oh. he's able to exude that so well that just by watching him makes me want to inflict physical injury to that character. The character, mind you, not the actor, character. Right. No, <laughs> Bill Skarsgård is a sweetheart by all by all accounts. Yeah. Everything I've seen, every interview I've seen with him, he just seems like he's a really great, like, very, very cool person. But, man, when he gets into a character like this, because this character, the Marquis, is looking down his nose at everyone. It doesn't matter who it is, everyone. And... I think also for an American audience, whether or not you you think this is a good thing or not, having that character also be French, I think is a very <laughs> shorthand way to like make American audiences be like, ooh, wow, he's extra pretentious because we just have this thing of thinking of French people as being pretentious. Um, yeah. Which, you know, fair or not, I don't. I don't necessarily think that, but like I can see where that would go. But he plays it just with this, like his just chin up, looking down his nose at everybody, talking down or talking at everyone. Yeah, and oh, it's just so like Bill Skarsgård. This is the same guy that played Pennywise. Like <laughs> that's some that's some good range for playing villains to play. Because yeah. Pennywise is such a different type of character, and he just he can have so much fun and chew a lot of scenery because he's definitely chewing yeah. up the scenery in this and and plus like they just nailed it with all of his costuming yeah and and like that, his look that just like just exemplifies the pretentiousness how like yeah. even like some of his suits just has it's very subtle but a lot of his suits especially in the later part of the movie have like almost a glitter to them mm -hmm. have like a shine a to them it's yeah. like yeah Plus he's he's tall and he's he's like rail thin and so he's got this very angular thing going on and he just looks he's he's in these very very tailored suits and it's just it it works it works so well and his performance is just dripping with grit and grime but in this like refined yeah. way the whole time it's it's really really good I loved yeah. I loved every moment he was on screen and he got the death that he deserved and yes the death happened for him we'll get to it in the scene but it was it was quick it was over and that's it and that's what that character deserved there doesn't need to be the long drawn out like <laughs> we talked about in chapter three with zero and how yeah that whole thing played out where zero's the fanboy and they have all these moments and then they have that long fight and that fight goes on and on and on and on and then it ends and they have their sit down and they're talking afterwards before john gets up to walk away and like that's what that character deserved. And yeah. because zero was just, he was just such a fanboy of John, but he also was like, but I can be the guy that kills John wick. Whereas yeah. the marquee doesn't like John at all is not, is not like he doesn't care. And so he doesn't yeah. deserve from the audience, any kind of uh, emotional connection to his death. It's just boom over and done. Uh, yeah. So that worked, I think really well. Um, Donnie Yen is Kane. All right. Yep. 
<laughs> I, I say this a lot and I'm sounding like a broken record, but man, Donnie Yen and anything, I don't care. Like I've yet <laughs> to see a movie with him where I haven't liked him. Um, but this is the second time he's played a, a blind character in the last few years. Yep, um, I have that note too, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I knew he was in the movie. I didn't realize his character was going to be blind. And when the scene started out with him, the first time we see him, he's got that watch open and I'm noticing the way he's kind of looking around. And I was like, Wait, is, he, is his character going to be blind in this too? And when he stands up with his cane, it's like, they're going to, okay. But, oh, yeah. he's just, <laughs> like, how do you go from, if you're if you're a director, if you're Chad Stahelski, and you're making this movie, and you're coming off the back of John Wick Chapter 3, and the choreography and the fighting with Mark Dacascos is zero. It's like, where do you go from there? Well, okay, you've got a very few choices, and one of them is Donnie Yen. Yeah. <laughs> and and then on top of that, like Donnie Yen just brings again a lot of character and a lot of heart and a lot of gravitas to what he's doing because yeah. he's just he's he's a good actor. He really is a good actor that also happens to be a phenomenal martial artist. And whew, boy, uh that whole first fight with the two of them is just <laughs> unreal. It just keeps going. Yeah. Yeah, and also like again, more glass. Uh, so mm -hmm. it also becomes a, a a game of okay, which glass is bulletproof and which one's gonna break? Exactly. Uh, or more specifically, which one is is John gonna get thrown through? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah. I did read that originally in the script, the character's name was um, something like a Shang or Chang, and they were gonna have him have you know like a Mandarin collar on his shirt and all this yeah. stuff and. And Yen didn't like it because he felt like it was just too Asian stereotypy. Yeah. So he went to Stahelski and talked about it and they rewrote the character and they called him Kane. Um, and I like all of that because yeah, I don't need him to be the Asian stereotype at all. Like we just don't need that. It's, it's the character is much more impactful if he's just another person in this world. Yeah. And in this case, he happens to be blind in the world. Um, and you don't get the full backstory of that, which I also like, because again, we've talked a lot about sort of the, this was the first of the John Wick films to not have, um, is it Derek Kolstad? I think is his name who, uh, yeah, Derek Kolstad who wrote the original. Um, okay. he is not, he did not work on the script for this. It's just, he's credited as a writer because the characters of John Wick and such were created by him. Yeah. But, he was so good at setting up and doing that kind of world building stuff that we've talked about. And this is some more of that where you've got a character like Kane who we learn has a history with John has a history yeah. with other assassins and not just a history, but like close history. Yeah. Um, a friendship with John, you know, they, they're frequently call each other friends. So, yes. and that, that goes to show you what kind of business this is too. the fact that, you know, like we were we were saying with uh with in chapter three how zero was a fanboy for for john and the only reason why he was even trying to kill john was because he was he was ordered to basically mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's also the same for for kane the only reason he's doing this is out of obligation to the the table yeah but uh, otherwise he's a close friend of john's yeah um, and, and I like that. And then you, you know, he's blind and we don't get the exact story of 
how or why, but we get hints to it, especially that hint at the end where he's like, they took your eyes and he goes, I, they didn't take my eyes. I gave them. Yeah. Which now it's, you know, that immediately sets off my brain of like all the questions. Why did you give them? How, what was the reasoning behind that? Was it because of your daughter? Was this before your daughter was born? What happened? <laughs> like, I want to know, tell me, damn it. Um, yeah. And that's good. Like I like a movie that does that. So, but like to have, the the conflicted killer is always uh, a trope right like the the guy who yeah. it's not personal but in this case it really isn't personal and it's that trope of you know i don't want to do this but i'm i have to i have to yeah um protect my daughter but he's also at the same time kind of got this underlying hope maybe or idea that maybe john and i can work out something that'll get sort of everybody what they want like yeah. we're that good of we're that good that we can maybe pull that off and even to the to the point of if like the marquee sets it up so that john can't make the duel at the end and like, he's trying everything he can to stop him from getting there on time because if he doesn't get there on time it's an automatic forfeit and kane you would yeah. think would maybe want that because then it's an automatic win for him and he doesn't have to do anything, but no, he can't have that be the thing because he needs John to hopefully get out from underneath the Marquis thumb. Yeah. So he ends up showing up to help him get up the stairs and get there on time, which oh, that whole, that whole yep. sequence. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to those. <laughs> um, getting through a, a few more of these here. Uh, Hiroyuki Sonata as um koji shimazu uh again does the character need to be in the film no does it does it further the story along not really but what it does give us is it gives us an anchor point for john uh another one of these people that actually kind of helps kane in a way so it sort of helps kane's story because koji and kane knew each other just like they yep. were, they were friends. Just like John, they were like the three of them were friends. And Koji is so uh, honor bound that he's not going to give up, and Kane can't give up. And it's sort of that was kind of a turning point for Kane in terms of like, am I doing the right thing? Type of thing. Plus, Sonata in a movie. When I say gravitas, like that scene of him walking through his hotel. And just everybody bowing to him and, and like yeah. the guys, you know, all the Yakuza looking guys are sitting around there drinking and they immediately get up like they're going to do something. And he just one hand and they sit right back down. And I'm like, he's an actor that commands respect when you see yeah. him on screen. And actually, I, I saw in the trivia that supposedly he was actually originally uh, supposed to be zero in chapter three. That's right. Yeah. And he couldn't do yeah. it because he was doing Avengers. Yeah, because he was in Endgame. And granted, he was only in there for like one scene in Endgame. Yeah, and he's in he Endgame like for like a minute. Yeah, and then he was killed by oh, by Hawkeye. Yeah, but yeah, he was originally supposed to be Zero, and because he had to turn that role down, that's why he basically just automatically got this role in Chapter mm -hmm. Four. Oh, yeah, it would have been a very different. I think it would have been a very different dynamic if he was if he was Zero though. I do think that that uh, I'm terrible with names. Uh, Mark Dacascus. Yes, 
uh, I, I do think he was the right choice for that that role. He was, because while I love Sonata, and I think that him in Chapter 3 would have been really cool, it, it does change that dynamic, because now you can't really have him be... He can he has to be like reverentially uh, respectful of John Wick in a different way than Zero is like yeah. Zero is like the the little brother or little cousin that that just thinks like oh you're so cool and I want to be like you whereas Sonata being the same age or older than Reeves especially as he plays a lot older it's hard to have that youthful exuberance of like fanboyishness yeah it would have been very different. yeah it would have been much more much would have been much more stoic. Uh, respect yeah. rather than I think having the the almost childlike uh, fanboying it really worked for that for that dynamic. I think that was Absolutely. the right choice ultimately. But and it it's gave good you to that see right amount. Mess. Oh yeah, and it, plus it gave <laughs> chapter three that right amount of humor that it, it yeah. needed just that little bit of levity in there. Um, but he's I mean Sonata's so good in this, and he's another one of those characters that you're like I want more of him, and so many of these characters you could do movies just on them like you could have a whole oh, car- yeah. movie on koji or a whole movie or series of movies about kane or the bowery king or any of them or um, even the harbinger like because he has the same yeah. this like what made him the harbinger like was he in a previous situation similar to to john that's why he had to sacrifice right. his finger or you know just, yeah there's enough mystery and inferred world building in these the series that you could just go off on a tangent with any character and uh be really interesting side story yep absolutely uh the last two i want to mention are uh shamir anderson as a tracker aka nobody um i'm not super familiar with him i liked him he's another one of those characters who are like did he have to be part of this movie not really like Quite honestly, the movie could exist without him, and it's not going to change the narrative of what's going on with John. But it did make for some interesting pieces. And again, it's more world building, and it's another character you could spin off if you want to. Um, yeah. So, like, that's the type of stuff when when I'm talking about like, does it need to be in here? For me, it's like if you're a fan of these movies, you like having that stuff in there. It's like watching the extended edition version of the Lord of the Rings, where if you're a fan of that world and of those movies. M- it's kind of that more is better. Uh, and yeah. you just, you're, you're just fine with, with more in these little bits. If you're not, if it's not your type of thing, then it feels just like tacked on and bloated and doesn't need to be there. Um, so the tracker is a character that adds flavor, uh, but isn't necessary for the movie to exist, but he does give us um, kind of an outside perspective. He's just in it for money and he's got his dog. And yeah, if there's one thing we know about John Wick movies, there's going to be a dog involved somewhere. Somebody's going to try to hurt or hurt the dog. And that ain't going to go gonna regret it. <laughs> yeah, they, they're they going to regret that. Are. Yeah. So it was just one of those where it's like, I loved that. And, and he too had an arc. Like he started off the movie Yeah, and he's definitely just in it for the money. Just going to find him. But he, he earns a respect for John. It's sort of, he's the outsider who doesn't really know John doesn't have that reverence for him. Like a lot of other people do, but he figures out by the end of the movie that no, this dude is like more than he seems. And he's not just a payday. And yeah, plus he's, you know, he shot the guy that tried to shoot his dog. So yeah, that's, that's the important part. But, but yeah, like, yeah, I like how his arc, I like his character because, Oh yeah. He starts off. He just sees, uh, 
he sees John Wick as a payday. But even the way he goes about that, I thought was interesting. How he doesn't just, you know, immediately go after John like everyone else does. Mm -hmm. He actually becomes kind of a, a pseudo ally to him in order yeah. to raise the bounty up so he can get a better payday. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was actually really kind of cool. And uh, and then, yeah, eventually he does actually become a legitimate ally to John, mainly because of the dog. Uh, but the, I did like that that arc and how he wasn't just a straight-up assassin trying to kill him. He had, like, other, other motives to doing yeah. the things he did. And he's someone that gets to that point with John without having a back uh, history with John either. Yeah. He doesn't know John already. They're not friends. They weren't, they never worked together. It's not even like common in, in chapter two who had a history with John, but then also did want to kill him. Like this was <laughs> just a guy who was literally like the, I'm seeing money. I'm seeing dollar signs, but to your point, very smartly, he's like, but I'm going to play this right and juice the price up a little bit. And then by the time he gets to the end, he's like, no, you know what? This guy ain't so bad. And I'm going to help him out. And, uh, yeah. and I liked that. Um, and the last one is Scott Atkins as uh, Killa. Yes. If you're not familiar with Scott Atkins, he is um, he is your, and I hate saying this because it sounds derogatory, Like, but B-movie star, he's an action movie guy. He is in, yeah. like, if you've seen an action movie with any kind of martial arts work or stunt work in it, he's probably been involved either as a small character or in the stunt crew. Um, and it doesn't matter if it was, you know, direct to video, uh, I think like undisputed. If you remember those movies where there were boxing in the boxing and mixed martial arts in prison, um, he yeah. did those. He's done like all these direct to video stuff, but um, all the way up to like, he was uh, the stunt double for X-Men origins Wolverine for Ryan Reynolds. He was actually the Deadpool okay. at the end of the movie. He played Deadpool at the end there, but that's Scott okay. Atkins. Dude is just shredded. He is a phenomenal martial artist. Uh, and they put him in a gigantic fat suit. Yeah. <laughs> and he just hams it up and it's yeah. so good. Because my, yeah. my only complaint with Adkins ever is he was like, if you took Steven Seagal and you made him not a complete dick <laughs> with a little bit more acting ability, that was, to me, for a long time, that's who Scott Adkins was. Now, he's gotten much, much better over the years. I think he's a better actor yeah. than I used to give him credit for. Um, yeah, I, but I, he, I, he always... He was really good in this. Yeah, like he always felt a little stiff to me early on, but he's gotten his acting has improved so much. But he was yeah. he was the guy. He was like Michael Jai White. You cast them because of their look and because of their martial arts abilities, and the acting comes second. Uh, and both yeah. of them, I think, have gotten better at acting as their careers have gone on. And here, he he gets to spend the first like sixty percent of his screen time just sitting there in that fat suit and he's hilarious. He's so good in yeah. that scene. He's cause he's yeah. just having a blast. Yeah. And oh man, I really want to get to these set pieces cause they're so good. But yes. Yeah. He, well, let's start he with, did. Let's start with that one in Berlin, in his club, right? Because Atkins, we started off and we get the whole uh, card game scene and like, it's really good and it's funny and it's, 
it's bordering on kind of Tarantino ish thing going on where like everybody's quippy and they, they've all got their own angle to play and all that. And then it becomes the set piece. And it's one of those where it just keeps going. And every time you think you've hit the end of that scene, another like rotation of the scene will come around and keep going. Yeah. And plus to watch Scott Adkins fight in that fat suit was amazing because it, he moves so well with it, but those first couple of punches he throws, he, it, you can tell it's somebody who knows how to throw a punch. And when you put him in a fat suit like that, what I'm thinking immediately is like Kingpin in the Marvel comics, yeah. where it's like, oh, that's like getting hit by fists of concrete. Like, yeah. And that's, that's one thing that I really appreciated about this whole sequence because it really subverts expectations by the end of it. Mm-hmm. Like, you start into it, you know, he's got this guy in a fat suit. He's got an inhaler. He's got a bunch of henchmen. It's like, okay, he's going to run away and keep throwing henchmen at, at John. And once, once he's cornered, he's going to be a coward and everything. It's going to be that. It's like, no, he gets to the end of this and he starts just flat out overpowering John Wick. Well, and it's great too. Cause when he's running away, he runs away like a big fat guy. He runs yeah. like somebody that would be the size of that person in that fat suit. Where, you know, it's just, it's not a waddle, it's running, but you just, you can only move so well at that size. Yeah. And so he looks like that and he gets shot in the butt. And there's the whole joke <laughs> where he's like, he's grabbing that. He's like, ah, you shot. Nah. But you're right. He gets cornered, <laughs> turns around and he just unleashes hell and he hits him. Yeah. And they, they put the, like the sound mix for those hits was they they took a cue from Indiana Jones, right? And it just sounds like sacks yeah. of wet cement hitting a wall. Yeah. And there was like even just a tiny little bit of camera shake when he hit him where you like you can feel that impact. And, you know, that's when you realize, oh, that's a fat suit. Sure. But uh, sure. But like that character is supposed to be just solid. Yeah. And he starts throwing kicks and he doesn't give up. And John's just got (laughs) to when he finally dispatches him. Oh, man. My note was like, oh, fell on his head. Like, yeah. So. One other note that I that I have in here as well is because they're just during that fight, John also falls like 50 feet onto concrete. <laughs> uh, so I, I wrote the note. Uh, let me find it in here. Uh, it's, it's so uh, hard too. Yeah, yeah I, I, I wrote the note somewhere near that. Uh, he, he basically he's because one joke I keep on making whenever someone dies from a fall is that they have a fatal case of gravity poisoning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I referred to it as uh, over the years, Johns must have developed an immunity to gravity poisoning if it's as if it's iocane powder. Yeah, because uh, this dude just it does not affect him. He he takes so many falls. He just that... over time, he, he, he kept falling from higher and higher heights. <laughs> and you're right. He just tempered his body to be used to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he gets he drops onto a pillar you know on his back and then just falls flat on the concrete and he's just like okay that was mildly inconveniencing uh, i think i'll keep fighting and yeah. then yeah killa drops on the stairs just on his head and you he just is, hear like, that crunch yeah like, you hear that crunch cool. and you know he's like four inches shorter Oh yeah. When he hits that, like it just jammed his, his whole spine and it is, Oh, it's so that, that sickening crunch that you get. Uh, and then I guess, um, the first take where 
Keanu's supposed to pull the gold tooth out, he like grabbed his lip and pulled on that. And so they did the second take is what was in the movie, but that sort of helped inform Scott Atkins to have like just that goofy face that, that he had. That just stare. And that stare the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but man, that, that was, was, and, and again, like all of the set pieces in the movie are different. We don't get repetitive stuff. We've seen yeah. in the John Wick series, we've seen fights in clubs, right? First two movies yeah. had fights in clubs. We've seen fights in clubs with pools and water and all that kind of stuff going on. But something about this one felt different than those. In some of the way that they shot it, in a way, in the way that like people were reacting, or in this case, not reacting. Um, yeah, that's like, another note I have in here. Is I I think the developers need to upgrade the the NPC AI in the simulation. No one ever reacts <laughs> to anything. Either that, or there was just you know, <laughs> it just makes you question how much how much ecstasy was in the bloodstreams oh, yeah. of all those people. Probably where, a like, lot. <laughs> This, there's just like no reaction to the bedlam that's going on whatsoever. Like John is fighting guys with axes and yeah. shooting people and just, they're all just dancing in the, in the waterfalls. Um, yeah. So it is, it is one of those where as this movie series went on, yes, you got to park your brain a little bit more each time, but it's because it's not our world. It's a heightened version of our world. It's a different, yeah. it's, a, it's a parallel universe and so i'm fine with with parking my brain for those those things because then we get we get the paris um well okay so yeah let's talk about the paris one the car the the chase the car chase that turns into an extended fight scene in the roundabout yes oh. because that scene it's it's a it's a car chase john how many cars does john wick get hit by in that scene alone, uh, I if I had to guess, approximately all of them, uh, yes. <laughs> to the point where one of my other random notes are uh, the true villains to John Wick are cars and stairs. Yeah, uh, really, basically not, that's what it is. Not the assassins or anything, just cars and stairs. Yeah. Those, are, yeah, yeah, because we get the the what leads up to this scene is the warriors uh, style radio announcer who yeah. comes over the radio that all the assassins and apparently every, every assassin in Paris listens to at the same time. Um, but basically telling them all, all right, John wick open season, go get them boys. Like that's basically what <laughs> in, she's saying in, in code, but yes. And, uh, and in so we start off. Code. Yeah. And we start off on the street and he just immediately fighting people in the middle of the street and getting hit by cars and they're getting hit by cars and doors getting ripped off. We had one of my favorite stunts, and I'd love to see the behind the scenes of how they did it is the doors ripped off the car. He's lost his pistol. Which is he, a special pistol, mind you. Yes. It's, we had a whole yeah. scene where he was given that by the Bowery King. So this is when he wants to get yeah. back. And he drives the car, leans out the window to grab the pistol off the ground while pulling a power slide, kind of drift, and then uses that to shoot at people. And it's all one shot and it's all, uh, from what I could tell, it's Keanu doing it. Yeah. And, and what's impressive. So good. And what's even more impressive is he doesn't like, if you have the gun on the street, he doesn't like go around it to pick it up. If you actually watch it, the gun comes up from underneath the car. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't yeah, see he... the gun when he's going for it, but he just is able to go down. It's like, okay, it should be right here and grabs yep. off the ground. He, he, instinctively knows where that thing is going to be. He's that good. It's just, ah, yeah. 
and then it's a it's a chase and then we get to um oh god what is the the arch called i no, I arc, to, say arc right. to triumph yes i don't know if and i say big, it right but and the big the, roundabout the, and it's he goes in and immediately starts driving the wrong way and yeah. then we get the little game of chicken and then it's that extended scene and you can tell like okay they didn't actually shoot the action sequence there um yeah. there is a little did, bit they, of yeah a little bit of green screen looking effect to it but they kind of had to uh with yeah. that many cars driving around well they but. were they were able to they were able to use um footage as well as like cg reconstructions similar yeah. to i think the tech that they used in um mission impossible ghost protocol to create the kremlin because okay. in the opening of that movie they didn't shoot anything at the kremlin in the opening of that movie and the yeah. kremlin explodes um and similar thing I think they did here where they got like LIDAR and all sorts of stuff like that and were able to recreate the arc. But they shot a lot of it. I want to say it was Berlin maybe. Some, uh, probably like an airport runway or airfield somewhere where they had big wide open yeah, spaces. Makes sense. So there's a, you can get a little sense of that. But at the same time, there's a lot of real cars driving around there too. There's a lot of yeah. CG. There's a lot of Compton cars. But there's a lot of real cars and stunt drivers and things happening. And... It's just, it's this controlled chaos yeah. that is mind-bending. It's so much fun to watch. And you, it, like a lot of the other set pieces in this, you're just like, oh, so tired now. <laughs> yeah. It and wears you yeah, out, this is, it's in a good way. Yeah, and this is where we have that that drift scene mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. he, you, like, we, like we mentioned, both cars are gone from the car, or both doors are gone from the car, so you can clearly see inside. It's Keanu you know, driving with one hand, drifting around these this these two other cars while shooting. The amount of training he must have had to go through to get this, because it's it's not a short scene either. It's like it's at least several seconds. Oh yeah, of him just straight doing this is impressive and, and like goes to show his dedication to this kind of stuff too. Listen, whatever the stunt drivers got paid for this movie, it wasn't enough. And I'm sure they got paid <laughs> decent. And I know yeah. that Keanu gave like all of the stunt guys, he made them custom shirts, but he also gave his personal stunt team like Rolex watches at the end of filming. Yeah. Like was Rolex Seamasters or something. But um, those stunt drivers, for yeah. that scene alone, the stunt driving that was done was just just top-notch like it just it, it was yeah. so good in a controlled space because oftentimes for me what makes a really good car chase um in a movie in a car's action sequence is scope and scale when they like the the car chase at, uh, towards the end of ronin one of the things i love about it is it takes place over so much space and it changes locations and the environment changes as they're going and they go from you know, tunnels to bridges to against the flow of traffic and all that. This all takes yeah. place in the roundabout around the Arc de Triomphe. Yeah. And it's just like, it feels so much more than it is. And I love that. Yeah. On top of yeah. action, like fighting, like literal choreography yeah. in the street that they're comping in with extra, like they're doing the choreography and they're stunt driving around it and they're comping in extra stunt drivers into that and all the visual effects that go on with that and these guys are just fighting in the middle of the street <laughs> and you have to want like yeah. again this is paris 
There isn't a cop to be seen. Yeah. While all this is going on, because apparently police don't exist in this world. Yeah. Uh, or, well, or at least they know better not to get involved with this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, it's like they're going to get to the scene. It's like, okay, I guess we just die needlessly. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's much. about it. And but, you put, like, yeah, John is there, and you got the tracker there, and his dog, and uh, his dog. Yeah. That shot of the dog running over the uh, tops of the cars was yeah. so good. And like all the action sequences in these movies, there is some quick cutting involved, but for the most part, the majority of it, wide shots, long takes, lots of action in camera in the take, or lots of action in the take and visual effects that make it more impactful. Yeah. Yeah. And also one other thing we forgot to mention, the, uh, the main like bad guy, the kind of the leader of the Marquis guys is never actually mm-hmm. called. They never actually say his name during the film, but he's credited as I'm going to pronounce it. Chidi. Yes. Oh, uh, this is another example of how he is a, he, he is a, he a monster. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. to a certain degree because he he's he's got the dog on his arm at one point and uh just like literally throws the dog in front of a car that bounces off of the the windshield and somehow survives because you know of course not everyone can die apparently uh and just like yeah you at that point like even earlier when actually during the osaka scene the first Mm -hmm. instance that we have of showing that he's a monster is he just straight up murders an unarmed woman because she's there basically. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they're just like, okay, we want this guy dead. (laughs) And the movie just kept hammering that that fact home. Yeah. Uh, Which comes back, comes up again later in the one, the next set pieces as well. But yeah, just for the, the roundabout scene, just, it just keeps on going and going and it's, and that's one thing that I especially like about the last hour of the film is to me, it does not feel like an hour. It's like, it feels like 20 minutes to me because it's just so fast paced and just so much action. Yes. And I think a lot of that is because the action is so well done that the pacing of the action, it never feels like a slog. It's long, and you definitely, like I say, you're exhausted by the end of it and you feel the, yeah. the, the length of it, I think. But you, it's sort of, um, it, you feel the length of it like if you were doing, say, like a long workout where you're tired yeah. at the end, but in the moment that adre- your, your adrenaline is up as you're watching that scene because of all the yeah. action that's going on. Not to mention the, the thing with the apartment. The ne- I think it was the next sequence yeah which somehow ramps this, it uh, ramps it up even further so so if the stuff in the roundabout wasn't enough for you now we go to this next sequence and it's in a seven room apartment and this is where i say like the movie they keep upping the ante and they keep giving us something new visually i am a sucker for a long take and we've had long oh, yeah. take action sequences in this where there's like a minute, two minutes unbroken of just fighting. And to think of filming that is insane to me because if one person yeah. messes up, you got to reset and that's not a quick, easy thing to reset. Yeah. But then they built this set and they built it with tall ceilings and they had a spider cam set up 
and you go from ground level up the wall to a top-down view, and we're following John room to room. And I also love movies that do that. Uh, the first Conjuring did it. James Wan in The Conjuring did this uh, shot, and I think he did it in Malignant, too, that followed somebody from room to room in a building like that. And I love yeah. that because it's just it's not something you see all that often, and it feels so weird and foreign. And for the for this movie to do that for an action sequence that was inspired by a video game and feels yeah, a little bit like a video it? game, but never looks yeah. like one. Yeah. Inspired and by Hong Kong keeps, Massacre. Yeah. And it's another one of those where it just keeps going. And when you yeah. think that you've seen enough of the scene, it's got more to show you. And there's even a point where we've transitioned up. We've done the top down. We've done that for a while. And then we cut back to normal level and you think, Oh, cool. That was a really cool shot. And then they go back to it and they're like, well, we got more for you. And, yeah. and I don't know if you read this or not. It was almost cut from the movie. That's really that scene almost didn't make the movie because people were seeing the unfinished version of it and they didn't think it punched enough. But then when they saw it with the dragon's breath ammo, yeah, which is another element we forgot to mention that basically all the shotguns are firing, you know, like phosphorus bullets out, basically. It's yeah, just like lighting stuff fireworks. on fire. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but once they saw that added in, they understood kind of the punch. And it does that yeah. does add that that extra level because those rounds hit and whatever they hit burst into flames. And so it helps to like yeah. keep your eye tracked on the action. And once again, though, you know where everything is and everyone is at any point, even with the camera in this odd position and rotating and changing, you know, yeah. uh, you still like you're able and everything's following John. And it's just like, what's cool about it too, from an audience perspective is most of the time in an action sequence, even if you've got wide shots, you're seeing nothing more than like what the actor is going to see. Right. Unless yeah. you cut away from the actor's perspective, or cut away from a shot that has the actor in it, whatever you're seeing, he's probably able to see, or she's probably able to see. The cool thing yeah. with this top-down is we get to see more than John does, so we can see these enemies moving around, and these bad yeah. dudes coming at him from different angles, and to see the way that all plays out and how John deals with that as a character, it's just, oh, it's so it's such a cool and, and innovative look to an action sequence that, I personally can't think of having seen in a movie before in that way. Yeah. And certainly for that long. Yeah. Yeah. Personally for me, uh, which is redundant to say personally and for me, but anyway, uh, <laughs> this, this one scene pretty much made the movie for me. Just yeah, I, again, like you were saying, we don't really get the same kind of fight sequence twice in these movies. No. This elevates it further by bring literally elevating the camera, you know, yeah. being able to see, action not just what what john can see but everything around him and it's impressive because this you know we were mentioning this being a long take i actually watched the time while i was watching it uh earlier today it's almost two minutes long straight of just pure action sequence and again it's like if anyone messes up they have to reset everything from the start you know Two minutes might not sound like a long time, 
but for an action sequence this intense with so much choreography with so many moving parts with so mm -hmm. much just stuff going on that needs to be so precise being able to, to do it for two minutes straight is amazing <laughs> it really really is and it's a different because we're pulling the camera back even further than a, like a wide shot of two or three people fighting or john taking on a, a room full of bad guys we're pulling the camera back that much more it's giving us a new perspective on all of this action and kind of removing us from it a little bit and making us pull back from it so it can keep the intensity up without it feeling draining because we've just yeah. had a very intense up close uh action sequence around the arc de triomphe and now we go to this and we're able to pull back and keep that in that intensity keeps ratcheting up but we're able to sort of relax and just take it all in and see something that we really haven't seen before yeah. because then we're going to roll into uh, yet another one. Uh, we'll get to it in a second here, but like yeah. this whole scene, just, it just goes on and on and on and on, but it just looks so cool. And it definitely needed that extra layer of something ridiculous, like the dragon's breath shotgun ammo. Yeah. Including also, one guy even getting fully set on fire, which is like your one yeah. cut in the whole thing they had a cut there yeah uh other than that it's basically seamless and you and honestly if you don't know that cut is there when that guy gets lit on fire in the kitchen you don't see it it's so well done yeah but it just oh, i just loved it and i loved like all the parts to it going on yeah and not only and the thing is not only is john wick impressive in this whole thing the tracker is impressive in it as well mm -hmm. oh, and yeah. it's just this one move that is just like such for whatever reason that's just the the coolest move is when he's when he's starting to go through and he he gets knocked the the rifle gets knocked out of his hand and just the pulling up the flak jacket from his backpack oh, yes. putting that out having the guns on the vest and everything and now he's like okay i'm ready for more and just keep on going i don't know why but that was just the coolest move to me <laughs> just that that was yep and like holding it there and, for a second and then pulling a pistol off. Oh, it was that was some rule of cool action right there. Like that just yeah. looked awesome. And it shows this like it also that sequence shows that John Wick isn't the only badass in this world, that there are some mm -hmm. other ones like the trackers up there, too. Uh, oh, yeah. With his skill and with, you know, his with his dog and everything, like how he's trained it, which you know, is somewhat unfortunate for the people on the uh, the business end of the dog uh, in a lot of cases. Let's just refer to, let's just say that one of the commands that he have is is nuts and just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> that dog was a meat-seeking yeah. missile, though. Like, how many times, how many times did that dog come flying into frame? Oh, yeah. And like, Oh yeah. I mean just hit people like it was shot out of a cannon. Yeah. And it was oh yeah. it was oh. so good. But also the scene where he comes out of the dark behind the guy. Oh, the Michael Myers <laughs> shot where he just yes. like appears out of the darkness and cuz you hear him. Yes. You hear yeah. him first. You hear the growl. And then he and then slowly in the background he fades in and it's just like oh this is this is too good. <laughs> like they, there's a, there's a moment we're going to get to here in a second that was almost too much with the dog almost but they earned it and you'll know exactly what i'm talking about 
but um but yeah this this whole sequence in the apartment was great and it's where the tracker figured out that john is not just a payday and honestly he's better off because john does rescue his dog yeah and that's a big thing and and that is 100 percent john wick's character yeah. That he is going to save the dog first because he's got a shot on the tracker who to this point, he's just trying to kill him. Yeah. So he's got the tracker dead to dead, dead to rights, but he takes time to shoot the other guy because that guy was going to shoot the dog because yeah, Chidi again. Uh, Chidi is uh, Chidi is a monster and deserved <laughs> his fate. Yes. Which and also then, he seems to be he seems to have gotten an immunity to gravity poisoning to a degree as well. Yeah, and cars. Cars don't seem yeah. to bother him much. Getting hit by a car, yeah. just Chidi's just like, yeah, whatever. I'll shake that off. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then and then we get to the final the final thing. Now, during all of this, mind you, this this chase through uh, Paris, through this apartment, leading up to this scene, John is on his way to a duel with the Marquis. Yeah. That has to take place at dawn, and if he's late, he forfeits. Yeah. And it is his way out. It is his final thing because he has invoked um, the, some of the old rules to have a one-on-one -on -one duel with the Marquis. And if he wins, he gets his freedom. He no longer has any ties to the table. Winston gets the con the Continental back, all that kind of stuff. If he loses, yeah. he dies. And, yeah. and the Marquis has basically thrown everything, including all the kitchen sinks at him to try and stop him from getting there on time. <laughs> and the last thing he has is as he's coming up to where is it? Uh, you're going to have to, you're going to have to help me out with where they were having their meeting at because, um, uh, it's a basilica. I, I, yeah, I, I know it was a church. Uh, so I was about it. Uh, Sacre-Cœur Basilica. Yes. Um, that sounds familiar. And there's 222 steps that lead up to it. And yeah. that's the shot that I was talking about earlier. When, when they get to the bottom of that and you hear like, and it said, he's got 222 steps <laughs> ahead of him. And that was that shot. That's 50% John wick, 50% Keanu Reeves. Like, Oh God, we're doing this. Like, what have yeah. I gotten myself into? <laughs> and I'm yeah, watching that, that like, Oh that boy. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, just, just you know seeing that. Yeah. Seeing that and knowing what he has to go through, that just alone made my knees hurt. Um, uh -huh. Quads <laughs> and like, hammies I, are just screaming. <laughs> yeah. It's like I, I I instinctively thought the phrase stairs, my greatest weakness. Uh, <laughs> well, I love uh, this bit of trivia. Fight coordinator Jeremy Marinas um, uh, thought when faced with the prospect of staging a fight scene on the 222 steps leading up to the Basilica was my quads and hammies are going to kill me. At the same time, he wasn't exactly surprised when director Stahelski presented him with the concept. It's like, of course, that's what you want. You want 100 guys <laughs> falling down the stairs and you want me to make every reaction and fall different. Of course you do. It was like just another day at work. And so that scene starts off and he starts off by just walking up the stairs and he gets partway up. And he gets there. And then all of a sudden, all these people show up and you're like, oh, yeah. here comes the fighting. And it's another one of those where it's just shots and, and flips and judo and all this and guys flying down the stairs and amazingly never hitting the center posts on any of those stairs yeah. too, which was pretty impressive. I did yeah. read that they did pad some of the stairs, not all of them, 
but some of them did have padding that then they could, you know, take out and post. Um, yeah. But there were a lot of times where guys had to fall on concrete. On, yeah. And on actual oh. stairs. And it was a point of pride for the stunt guys that they had nothing but bumps and bruises. That there was no, yeah, no concussions. concussions and no, <laughs> like, you know, legitimate serious injuries. Because a lot of guys fell down a lot of stairs for that scene. Yeah. Including... and. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say another pro tip for all the, uh, if you're ever trying to go against John Wick, uh, a pro tip should probably pull your gun out before he sees you. Uh, that was a very common mistake for a lot of the people in here is they would, they walked out in view and then pulled their guns out. Might want to do it the other way around. A little bit of a pro tip there. Anyways. <laughs> Um, yeah, but like, and John gets all the way up the stairs, basically to the top when Chidi shows up and just straight like 300 kicks him back down the stairs. <laughs> yeah, down and all of the stairs. All of them. He just keeps falling. And it's like, oh man. And you know, you know, it's a stunt double. I'm pretty certain yeah. that most of that was not Keanu Reeves falling, but whoever that was just Ugh. kept going and he gets to the bottom and this was my this was the you know like, oh yeah moment of the movie is when he hits the bottom and then there's Kane and Kane's like I need you to get to the top how long have we got and he's like two maybe three minutes he's like let's go and then we get to do basically the whole scene again yeah. going up the stairs but with, with Kane the, helping with Kane helping so I'm already in because it's just more Donnie Yen getting to do Donnie Yen stuff yeah. The tracker is now helping. He's got his dog there and uh including getting to finally get the final uh bit on Cheaty with uh, yeah. uh with getting him in a position and then nuts and that yeah. dog dragging <laughs> that dude by his crotch off the stairs. Yeah. Before he gets shot and then and the, and the moment that almost went too far but I'm going to I'm I'm it's, it's one of those where it's like well, it feels weird but I'll allow it is the dog peeing on him afterwards because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Like, hey. It's silly. They, they, they mentioned at the beginning that the dog is a female, but the dog was raising its leg. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, you can have that one movie. Yeah. That's fine. Like, yeah. You know, Chidi made it personal. Cool. So exactly. So I, I, I would allow it too. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Um, it's just that whole it's once again it's one of those action sequences that is so well staged so well choreographed and it never feels like we get lost we know where we are on yeah. those steps the whole time because as you're going along john's just getting more and more tired he's fallen down he's fallen down more than one time he keeps getting up you're just like the lactic acid building up in his quads <laughs> and his hamstrings had oh. to like it would put down a rhino yeah. And and then he finally gets to the top and it's like that's not the end. <laughs> like yeah, now he he's got to deal with the, the, top. the actual duel. <laughs> and now he's got to do the duel and the duel was awesome because it's pistols yeah. at dawn, right? Yeah. It's very classic duel, pistols at dawn and then those pistols they had. I don't know what they were. Like I could probably look it yeah, up. Like, so I'm sure there's somebody that that oh, would yeah. tell the exact model and modifications that were done to him, but they were just awesome looking. These single shot, whatever the hell caliber bullet those things were, those looked like a long rifle, freaking <laughs> artillery shell. Yeah. Um, and but it's one other note 
that like something random I noticed this time through that I would listen or that I watched of mm-hmm. John's firing left-handed. Oh um, yeah. Because as soon as they get up the stairs, I don't know if this now I don't know if it would really made a difference or anything, but I thought it was a cool little detail. Uh, Kane just like takes his sword and just stabs it through John's right hand as they're walking yeah. by. And uh, just like, okay, now we're even. And, <laughs> and then they go and do the duel. Yeah. Uh, I, so I, I thought that, that was moment. a cool little detail that the, that he was firing left-handed after that. Yep. Yep. And he's got to shoot left-handed. And so they have their duel and it's 30 paces and the marquee, being the coward that he is, accepts the duel, but then makes Kane act out the duel. Yeah. And so pistols, 30 paces, they turn, they shoot, they wing each other, right? And they get each other in the in yep. the arm. And so if they aren't dead, they move in 10 paces and they shoot again. So, and I love how they, they get to their 30 paces and then their second comes over with a, you know, this velvet the lined shell. tray and the bullet in it. And he gives it yeah. to him. And I love Winston's things like, just try to have fun out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, it's Again, so part good. of the, part of the, you know, such as life type thing that he's adopted yep. for this, this chapter is like, just have fun. And like, and he starts off. It's like, isn't this a beautiful sunset? <laughs> because he has, Winston has figured out by this point that he's either, going to get everything back or he's going to die and he just needs to be in the moment right now and such is life and he's adopted that and the loss of of the concierge is what puts him there so we get 30 paces they wing each other 10 20 paces they wing each other 10 paces tensions building up that's where we get that great moment of remember you know think about your daughter f off uh And uh, 10 paces and they shoot, but John gets hit and he goes yeah. down. And here again, this was the long play that it's a gamble, but it's one that paid off. And it feels, you know, that you know, that moment in a movie about a con like Ocean's Eleven or something like that, where it's revealed the long con that they're, you yeah. know, the movies playing on you. And if it's done well, you're like, oh, that's clever. That's really well done. And if it's if it's poorly executed, you're like, no, come on, really? We did did yeah. we do that? Like that just feels too much. This was, I think, revealed done well because yeah. John and Kane don't know one hundred percent that this will work, but they know and have figured out the marquee well enough to guess that he is enough of a coward that he won't do the duel himself, but he's arrogant enough that he will want to finish John off by himself. Yeah. And John being down and the Marquis like, I, I will, I'll do it. I'll, I want the coup de gras. Like I, as champion or whatever, you know, I, I invoke that right. And he stands in there by himself and he loads it up. And then that last second and Winston's like, you arrogant asshole. He never fired. And, by the time he said that, John's already shot him. And it's just like, oh, it's yeah. so, it's so, it's the perfect way to take that guy out. Yeah. Because, and it's potentially a little bit fuzzy in like the actual rules of the duel, how that would apply. But, you know, but the fact that it's like, that's the way it had to be done. You know, mm-hmm. if they had shot him and just killed him in any other situation, I mean, that's the whole point of the duel is yep. to basically make it like legally binding 
under the table. So that it's like, okay, with this duel, if John wins, he gets, earns his freedom, you know, and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I just, I love that. Well, part because too. by the I rules just, of I the duel, it was so good. <laughs> yeah, by the rules of the duel, they each shoot from 30 paces, they each shoot from 20, and they each shoot from 10. Yeah. And so by John not firing at 10 paces, he's well within the rules of the duel to still fire. He's not dead. Yeah. But because yeah. the arrogance of of the marquee, he thinks, well, he's I've got him now. He's already shot and has no bullet left. I'm going to do the coup de gras. I'm going to finish yeah. him off finally. And that's when Winston has told like yeah, he didn't shoot yet. And boom, yeah. he's done. And it's just, yeah. oh, it's so satisfying and, and so again, good in that moment. And again, how like how you mentioned earlier, it just happens. You know, there's mm -hmm. no real lead up to it. The, like what you just said was the lead up to this guy getting killed. Yeah. And then afterwards, literally the only reaction was the harbinger going, yep, he looks dead. <laughs> yep, that's well, it. That's done. All yeah, right, that's... boys, have a good one. Puts his hat on and walks away. She's like, <laughs> yeah, work's done here. like, okay. Yeah, it's just like, and that was the only way that basically both John and Kane could get what they wanted, because uh -huh. just before the Marquis took over from Kane to do the coup de gras, he says, "You're you and your daughter are free. He, she can't yep. be touched anymore. You know, you're free to go." Type of thing. So that's binding. And yep. then John kills the Marquis, which means his thing is binding as well. Yeah. And the Harbinger, you know, reiterates all this, and then basically it's like, "Okay, we're done. See ya." And we'll we'll clean this up later. Uh, yep. But <laughs> I'll file the paperwork. Have a good one. Yep. Yeah. And then the the like the last note I have for that whole thing was ah hubris. Yes. <laughs> oh, my hubris will be my undoing. Yeah. Um. And then and then we get that wonderful moment, and it it brings the whole story full circle, of because the opening of the first John Wick film is the aftermath of his fight and he's laying there bleeding out and he's looking at the, the video of his wife. And the last thing she says in the video is we can go home now. And yeah. then we get the whole movie and everything starts. And at the, at this point, John stands up and he looks at Winston and he just says, will you take me home? And those are the last words that John wick speaks before he walks off and he goes partway down the stairs and sits down. And then he just, keels over and the next thing we get is the bowery king and winston in front of his grave next to his wife i think maybe he says helen helen might be the last word he says actually yes because yeah, he, he has he has a bunch stairs. of flashes and memories as he's sitting on the stairs and that's it and and then that ends it and we get just this little wrap-up of like well, what's gonna happen now it's like well, just go back to doing stuff and like i get my hotel back and you know that's that's the end of john's story and it's you can you can read it as maybe he didn't die, but it's also uh, fairly definitive that like yeah, I'm pretty sure he's like if they well, want to bring him back somehow, they can hand wave it away as like we buried him we quote buried him so that everyone would think that, but chapter five has been confirmed. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious what they do there. Um oh, but it's I like have, like in regards to chapter five, so they're, they have confirmed that they're, they are going to be working on chapter five. Uh, I, I have a feeling it will be a sequel. Uh, I don't, and it, 
you know, so they never actually show a body and it's reasonable to believe that the injuries that he sustained during that last duel were survival because he has survived those injuries before. Yes. Uh, so it is reasonable to think that they will, they will keep him, keep him going. But honestly, what I want from, I want a prequel. I want John Wick, the impossible job where they go back and show what he had to do to get out of there in the first place. I would love to see that story. Now, I do know that Keanu Reeves has said he doesn't want to come back to play John Wick unless Chad Stahelski is directing. Yeah. And that's that's great. And if they're going to do a John Wick Chapter 5, fine. Can we let Chad Stahelski make Highlander first, please? Can we do the Highlander <laughs> remake at least? Can we get that? Like, well, I, I don't mean, care if Ghost of Tsushima happens or not like it's cool and i hope that it happens but like he has got literally he's got 11 upcoming projects on his imdb page oh, and wow whether it be um rainbow six vice city uh black samurai ghost of Tsushima, but i want like can we just have like any of those and then let him go back to john wick it would be fine um <laughs> because he's he's I mean, now told a four-part story and a great arc yeah. for john and if they yeah. never make a chapter five, I'm fine with it. Like honestly, yeah, this, if they'd never made if they'd never yeah. made a sequel to John Wick, I'd have been fine with it. Which um, they didn't. They originally weren't going to. I mean, no, they, they, they weren't because the original John Wick was effectively an independent film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. the only reason why it, it got off the ground so in the first place. Yeah, the only reason it got off the ground in the first place was because of Keanu. Uh, Keanu. Mm -hmm. Oh, but and then yeah, then they so it's like oh we got something here, and then they made it continued on so yeah if i agree though if they never actually if this chapter five never pans out this is a satisfying end of the series it um, really is and i just i'm kind of hoping that if they do go to a chapter five that the tagline is not now we're milking it uh <laughs> John chapter five because it keeps making money pretty much oh because there will be a certain point where it's like okay you're turning into the fast, the F Fast and Furious series now, and we know where that's going. And there, there's um, <laughs> already so much suspension of disbelief you have to have for the fact that John Wick yeah. has made it through four movies. Because yeah. there was a there was a YouTube series, and I'd like, I think it was a Cinefix spinoff, or under the Cinefix label, but it was like, what's the damage? And they would have, they would have like a doctor. Um, or they would they would go over the injuries that people would sustain in certain movies and how yeah. many how many of those would be lethal and I think if I remember right it was like Home Alone two Lost in New York would have it would have taken like seven Marvs to get through that movie oh jeez <laughs> because of how many times his character would have sustained like life threatening injuries so yeah. I'd love to just just for the just for the sheer like silliness of it to have a breakdown of all the injuries John Wick should have sustained in this movie, like all the broken bones and cracked oh. ribs and collapsed lungs and who knows what else. Cause you, you know, it's just like, it's an ER doctor's nightmare. Oh yeah. Like, Somehow oh, he would have managed to break like three legs, four lungs. Uh, yeah. It's like this man has been in a body cast for seven years, just continuously. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> And yet he's still kicking. But what I, the one thing I do like is no matter what happens to John in any of the movies, uh, every time John Wick gets up and he does get up and he gets running, 
he looks like somebody who just fell down a flight of stairs running. Oh, yeah. Which is great. Yeah, it, he's it got that little bit of a time. like sideways hobble for a few yep. steps and then he gets back he and runs. Paced. He runs like a man who's running on two broken ankles and a cracked foot <laughs> in his 50s. Like just, yeah. uh, and it, it looks like it's painful and I love every second of it. But like, yeah, no, this was a satisfying, this is a satisfying close to that story. If they end up trying to go with more, more power to them, I'm sure I'm going to watch them because why not? We did go yeah. from something that was very independent and very grounded, uh, and it got more and more ridiculous as it went on. But what they did was they gave us new things we hadn't seen before. Yeah. And they they did so much in terms of just action films and what can constitute a good action film that I just love that. I, this is a great yeah. series of four movies, and it's a cool, fun world to play around in now because... There's the series coming, the Continental. Yep. Has that? St- I don't know if that started yet or not. Um, I don't. I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> that's supposed to like just take place at the Continental itself and deal yeah. with other characters. And there's also, um, uh, what was the other thing? Was um, the Ballerina is a spinoff? Yes. Of of this, um, which okay, the Lance Reddick actually John did. Wick. Yeah. Uh, Lance Reddick actually did record a couple scenes for the ballerina. Yes. Yep. So Lance Reddick will be in ballerina that comes out next year, uh, slated for next year. And the continental series, um, I think it's, it's a limited series. I think it's supposed to be later this year. Um, so, but it's, it's such a cool, interesting world to like play around in and follow other characters other than John wick. Um, Yeah. Because, because of what they did and like because we've got even silly stuff like peter stormare's character from two (laughs) go back to him and that whole gang and that group of people and they're involved but like they don't want to have anything to do with john wick anymore and they said this much you've got the the, um his family the roma um yeah the risk roma yeah the risk roma there like all that kind of stuff it's just uh, i i i really enjoy the world that they built in this and there's so much room for so many characters to be in here. Um, we got to see somebody get taken out with a pencil. Yep. <laughs> a pencil did make a return. <laughs> yes. Because I, I had a note for that with a pencil. Yep. Um, I also had, <laughs> looking at my notes for watching the movie, I had good puppy, really good puppy. Don't hurt the puppy. No, shoot the puppy. <laughs> that good puppy. <laughs> so. and, and also the fact that the tracker, like when they did finally kill... Uh, cheaty it's like you hurt my puppy <laughs> so okay we've Don't been going for a while this is one of the longest yeah. episodes i've done yet but i yeah. have to play a couple of these audio clips this sure. isn't a movie with a ton of quips but there's some good ones here um and i would be remiss if i don't play it one of them is you hit my puppy <laughs> when he said you hit my puppy i was like oh thank you all dogs are puppies yeah. and anybody who's a dog person <laughs> like full three quarters of dog people are like that. We're just like, you know, it's my puppy. Um, Anyway, you know that I always get fake laughs um, and, and good ones. And Fishburne's laugh at the beginning is just, it's a little quiet because the way the audio was with the punch I got in here, but I just love this laugh. (laughs) It's the end of it. It's that, (laughs) ha, at the end because yeah. <laughs> it's that real throaty like barrel 
barrel chested throaty laugh and then the impact of the punch of john hitting the thing and then ah, and it just i love that it was really really good uh let's see um winston finally um kind of finding his philosophy such is life yeah such is life yeah <laughs> that's how it is uh we've got um the bowery king uh with his when he's when he brings the suit to paris the latest in ballistic chic appropriate for all formal occasions weddings funerals high table duels gotta love that because as he says after all man has to look his best when it's time to get married or buried that's right remember that (laughs) um loved all that i got one clancy brown uh because i just like this line a man's ambition should never exceed his worth. You would do well to remember that, sir. That is menacing. Yeah. That is voice. And, that is some voice work. Just you would do well to remember that. So I'm like, yeah. no, I don't want to run into you in a dark alley or a light alley for that oh, matter. <laughs> or Yeah, any alley. <laughs> Just No. Keep them state open fields. Uh, Yep. (laughs) Um, What was this one? I don't even remember what this is. Remember your daughter. Fuck off. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, that's what that one was. (laughs) Well, there, there's my one for the show. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, if you made it to an hour and 45 minutes of this show, you've earned, we've earned that F-bomb. But that was, it was such a great moment because it's that tropey thing that happens in every movie like this. And Donnie Yen's just like, no. Yeah. And that was, that had that, that had that reaction from Bill Skarsgård, just very ever so slightly. If you watch it again, watch for it of just that, like, yeah, okay. And then walks away. Like breaks just a little bit and then comes back to like the no looking down his nose um yeah. oh d- okay last one this is my last uh clip but this is a good one so this is winston talking to the bowery king and it's when they're standing in the rain and um he's explaining like well why did the marquee leave you alive and i love this line because this is a great one killing a man can turn him into a martyr letting him live tells the world he's a coward or a turncoat like, I love that. That's so, because it's so true in this world. Like in this world of this movie, all you have is your reputation. And by yeah. the marquee, not killing Winston, that means Winston is either a coward or a traitor. Which one is he? You don't know, even though he's neither. Yeah. In this case, he's painted as that. And that's, that's so much worse than killing him. So I really enjoyed that. It's a little tough to hear with the, the rain sound, but. It's yeah. great. It's a great moment and a great delivery. And if I may see, be so bold, one quote that I I was probably one of my favorite quotes of the movie is when they're doing the uh, they're get like doing the the conditions for the duel, doing like flipping the cards, which I thought that would, oh that yeah was that was cool too. That was an awesome scene. Yeah, but like at the very end where John was about to leave, he's like, "There is no John out there, only John Wick, the killer." And John just turns to him and goes, "And he's gonna kill you." And his just expression was like, oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's not a good thing. No. What what have I unleashed? What was I thinking? Yeah. I I like that exchange. I'm I'm sorry. This 
if you are at all a fan of the John Wick movies and you haven't seen this one yet, first of all, why are you listening to us ramble on it for an hour and yeah. 45 minutes? But secondly, oh, it's so good. Watch it. It It is. Yeah, it's long, but the movie works and it earns it. It wouldn't yeah. work if you didn't have the first three chapters didn't set you up for it and didn't deserve this kind of a fourth. Um, I would say, oh, the movie's too long. And look, if you think the movie is too long, I get that. That's fine. I don't think it is. And I think that it's worth sitting through because as you said, the pacing in it for that last hour, the first hour and a half is a fully contained movie and it feels like that. But then the action gets ramped up in that last hour and you really don't feel an hour there and you're, but you're oh, yeah. inside of it when you're done, you're tired. You're like, Oh boy, I am, I am as whooped as John wick is because they do so much. The, the way the stunts are done, you feel these impacts, you feel the punches, yeah. you feel when they hit and they roll down those stairs or they slide down something or whatever it is. Like it's just so well done, but there's also, such a good showcase of what action films can be when as we've talked about uh, uh, more than once tonight but also in the previous two chapters simplify the story the story is john getting revenge the story is john's yeah. going to kill the marquee that's it that's all that is complex characters complex world put all that stuff around it but we don't need these long bits of like exposition to move a plot along because that just bogs a movie down. Let the show don't tell and let the world build itself around it. And that's what that's what Derek Kolstad, Chad Stahelski, the, uh, Keanu Reeves and the rest did from the word go in the first John Wick yeah. film to this fourth one. Yeah, it's impressive so, how they've kept it kept it going throughout the whole series. Yeah. To 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 continue to do new things and yes they up the ridiculous factor of it but to continue to do new things that we haven't seen in uh, action films or certainly haven't seen at the scale and at the length that we're getting some of them here oh, yeah. is impressive and and it really i mean now we're getting uh we're in the era of all the as as we have been for the last few years of all the john wick clones right the you know oh this yeah. is john wick here die hard did the same thing die hard was this movie 30 years ago. Well, where, even the matrix was this movie too. It's like how many, right. for how many years after the matrix did we hear best fight scenes since the matrix as mm -hmm. an advertising point. And that's what certain movies will do. And like, you know, Die Hard I, I like to use as the example because it changed kind of the structure of action movies in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so Die Hard came along, did that. And then we got a lot of those Die Hard clones, the ones that worked, understood what made Die Hard work. The ones that didn't were just like, oh, we'll put action inside a small space. Well, that's not yeah. all of what made Die Hard work. And then Die Hard, of course, was able to expand that in the third movie, which I think is still quite good, Die Hard with a Vengeance, by expanding yep. it to all of New York City, but still making that feel rather contained by comparison to some other action movies. And never, like, the Die Hard series lost me when they got too big. And yeah. John Wick could have lost me with that, but what works is while we expanded beyond just New York, it never, it always felt like it, well, it's still all within this world of assassins. Yeah. It never went beyond that. And it was never like, 
it was never it never felt like it was too much so this is definitely one that is 100% worth watching and uh it's going to be hitting streaming services soon you know it will be so check it yeah. out uh it's worth a rent though for sure like oh yeah to to rent it on any of the services right now is absolutely worth it um you just get your popcorn sit back and enjoy <laughs> the carnage because whoo yeah boy is it good stuff um so all right I've had you on a couple of times. It's been a couple of months, but let people know you, you've got a, a podcast, part-time gamers, right? It's still going on. Indeed. Yep. The gaming podcast for people with full-time lives. Uh, we talk about games that you can usually finish in a couple hours or so, or at least get some kind of satisfaction out of in a short amount of time because we all are, well, most of us have to do a bunch of adulting, which kind of sucks and eats into game time. So yeah, talk about games that you can get enjoying the full-time life. Excellent. Uh, and you can find that where? A anywhere you get your uh, podcast would be part-time gamers. Yep. But um... Yep. Uh, I also do I do the live recordings, uh, usually Sunday nights. Uh, uh, we would have technically started about 45 minutes ago, uh, but we're not recording <laughs> today because of the, uh, the 4th of July holiday. Uh, but normally about 9.15, we start the stream up at uh, twitch.tv. Twitch yeah. Twitch why can I not think? It's right there. <laughs> Twitch.tv slash Cyrenex. Uh, there you go. And do start the show proper at 930 Eastern Time. Excellent. This show records Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. If you want to hang out and catch the live stream of the show, uh, comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays, anywhere you get your podcast. You can always find that feed and any feeds to other shows that I am a part of, whether those be those were the days, gore, or the uh, Let's Watch Highlander that will be coming back at some point uh, because we're going to watch Highlander the Raven. Uh, you can find all of those feeds at tvstravis.com. There's also links to merch there if you want to get a coffee cup or a T-shirt with my logo on it. Um, those That's always fun. The, and honestly, the merchandise I've gotten uh, bits myself, I'm really impressed with the quality of it. So if you like that kind of stuff, it's there. There's a Patreon uh, link on there or go to patreon.com forward slash WYHS for weight you haven't seen for as little as a dollar an episode, you can support the show uh, supporting in non-monetary ways by just spreading the word, letting people know, um, get people to listen to the show. There's 223 episodes now that they can listen to. Um, yeah. Patrons do get access, special access in the discord. There's a link to the discord on the website, tvstravis.com, but patrons um, do get special uh, discord access. And we also do monthly movie catch-ups where uh, we watch a movie from the Wait You Haven't Seen back catalog together. So if it's a, if it's one that you missed and maybe you skipped an episode or you listened to the episode and were intrigued by the movie and you want to watch it or watch it again, we can do that there. Um, and I put those to votes and, and all that kind of stuff. So you can definitely check it. But tvstravis.com is the place to check that out. Sirenix, thanks so much for being here. This was, this was awesome to, to finish the John Wick journey together. Yeah. Uh, at least until five comes out at some point. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. see, like I said, this is, if you say, Hey, you're welcome back anytime. I will hold you to that. And uh, this is, this is the result. So, Hey, you know, you're, you're <laughs> on my, you are on my short list of those that like I can count on to be like, Hey, you want to, you want to do an episode and you're going to have something, you're going to have something good. And, there's no way I could do an almost two hour episode of this show unless it was a conversation that I wanted to have. And it doesn't feel like we've been talking for two hours. So yeah. 
it's been a ton of fun. Thank you so much uh, for being oh, here. Man, I love being here. <laughs> and definitely check out Part-Time Gamers. It's a lot of fun. I'm working on figuring out some game to come and talk about because I want to come back on. Yep. Was, I had fun before. Yep. Um, and I'd love to have you back on there, too. It's a matter of timing and what game to talk about. Yep. We'll, we'll figure that out. But uh, yep. next week, I've got uh, Kurt. VO by Kurt is coming back. He is getting me to watch, for the first time, 12 Angry Men. Yes, I've never seen 12 Angry Men. I know that I'm supposed to, as a as a film buff, have seen 12 Angry Men. <laughs> I haven't. And uh, when I mentioned that at one point, Kurt uh, immediately jumped on that and said, you're, you're watching that. You're watching with me. I want to talk about it. Let's do it. So that's happening. Uh, and then the week after that, Phil Keating is coming back. And uh, we're going to watch one of his favorite movies ever that I also haven't seen, which is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. And I can't wait uh, to check that out because quirky Wes Anderson movies are fun. <laughs> and somehow I just never saw that. So that's what's coming up the next couple of weeks as we inch ever closer to Cage of Palooza 2023. <laughs> and you're going to love this one this year. We got some fun yeah. stuff coming. So until then, until next week, with uh, with Kurt and Twelve Angry Men and the ever approaching Cage of Palooza, Sirnex, thank you for being here. Um, everybody, get out, enjoy your movies, stay home, enjoy your movies. However you want to do that, let's be excellent to each other. It's been way you have to see. Pit Viper. How'd you get this? I know a guy who knows a guy who shot a guy. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>